Well, it's in breach of human rights violation. It's absolutely outrageous. Not only in Western Australia, but the decision to move 20 children to Casarina Prison as outraged nation in so many respects. It's basically setting up a child to a life of criminality and also incarceration. That's exactly what we don't want to do. One in 12 Aboriginal men are in prison today. Um, whilst they're not all Aboriginal children, a large proportion are. And basically it's a fail in terms of youth justice in Western Australia. If we have to shift 20 young people to a maximum security prison, it's just outrageous and it should not happen in this day and age. It therefore shows that there is no political will to fix the issue. I've worked out at Banksy Hill um, and I've also worked with my colleague Jerry Georgiatis and Connie Georgiatis at Acacia Prison. The model that we used um, was really effective and in fact we reduced the number of people coming into the prison system. For example, at Banksy Hill for an eight-week period, there was the issue with coronavirus when it first hit Western Australia. So a lot of the services went into lockdown. A lot of people in Western Australia went into lockdown. We worked alongside another group who was there to, this is at Banksy Hill, to deliver a service. Uh, we worked with the young girls. There was 18 young girls when we walked in. By the time we left, there were seven. There was less staff incidences, if any. Um, there was just a really good understanding. So... They haven't exhausted every possible opportunity to address this issue. In fact, they're making kids worse and, in fact, they're actually shifting the problem. And I mean, we know that the you know the, our prisons are already overcrowded. We know that they're you know under-resourced and, and understaffed, and just don't have the the adequate training really to to you know if there's any any semblance of rehabilitation still in the prison system, it's um, certainly not being delivered uh, adequately. But you know, what is the justification? Is it is it just simply that you know Banksia Hill is uh, is too crowded, and you know why why would they even consider this in in the first place? And 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 do those consider Considerations really speak to, I guess, just how um, you know, I guess, uh, overstretched this uh, this system and under-resourced this system is. Um, exactly what you said, overstretched and under-resourced. That's the primary consideration here, which there is no political will, and that is evident with a lack of reinvestments or investments in the Banksy Hill. It's really quite concerning because the children are just that; they're children. Now, going into Casarina Prison, that is just going to have some profound impact in terms of psychological um, state of mind. That's been proven by a young man who was uh, who was transferred after the Banksy Hill riots in 2013 to Hakea Prison. He still lives with a trauma and the impacts of that today, and that has had a psychologically negative impact on him. The issues in Banksy Hill, um, which may have led to it, the staffing, there's been rolling lockdowns and that's of concern. There's also been damage to, to the units. There's another way of doing it. One in five people are being failed in Banksy Hill. So, for example, there's 100 children. So, therefore, to shift 20 over to Casarina Prison because of not being able to contain and control and provide that intense psychosocial support and that love and that respect to the children... Um, that's a fail on Department of Corrective Services, Department of Justice, and Minister for Corrective Services, and in fact, the McGowan government. It should not happen in this day and age. Yes, they believe that they are right in terms of transferring some of the children, but it's another fail and it will lead to um, more hurt, more harm, and you know, potentially suicidality, and that is what we don't want.
Megan, I'd like to think that there's increasing awareness around, you know, just the rates of incarceration within the Indigenous and Aboriginal communities here in Australia. However, I think, you know, one, one aspect that's definitely missing is the impacts it's having on, on young people and the, you know, the so-called uh, juvenile justice system. You know, can you, I guess, speak to how significant, um, you know, that this system is on, on young people in Aboriginal communities? I mean, how many how many young people are actually going through and experiencing this? And is there any indication that the, the system is really helping or supporting, uh, you know, people that, you know, really often just committing crimes of circumstance or crimes of, uh, of poverty um, r- rather than, you know, the, you know it's, it's, it's not as though we're talking about these sort of hardened criminals. As you said, we're just talking about children. Well, can you, mm-hmm. I guess, explore and, and, and explain some of the, the, the impacts the juvenile justice system is having on young people in the Aboriginal community? Oh, it's a complete fail. There are some services, but those services don't go far enough because they don't have the mandate and they're not, they're not um, able to because there is no mandate. The impact that it is having right across the country, we have 132 carceral estates. Of that, 17 are youth detention centres. We only have one in Western Australia. Across the board, there's 42,000 people that are impacted by this and by the incarceration, and that's a failing sense when we start having a look at things like Medicare, pharmaceutical benefits, and also in the OAS, not being able to go into the prison. But the impact is one which is hurtful. These are the most vulnerable children that I've ever worked with. Some of these children do not have families. Some, some of these children do not have parents. We must remember, and this is what's always said, oh, you know, these people, they should be looking after their kids. Well, let's have a have a think about this. 40% of children that are in Banksy Hill right now, they are in the care of the state. So in effect, the state is the parent of those ch- of those children. So that is really quite damaging. This is a holistic issue. The, it's, it's an issue in the sense that some of the children have such weak safety nets because their parents or their caregivers do not have housing on the outside. So what happens is that there is... 18,000 families on the wait list, black, white and brown, equating to 44,000 people homeless or houseless in Western Australia. That also um, is consistent with what happened in Perth last year where 60 people died on the streets. So yes, it is Department of Justice. Yes, it is Department of Corrective Services. But it is a state government issue so we can stop criminalising poverty. Now, the thing is with poverty, a lot right across the country, Aboriginal people fall below the poverty line by 40%. In Western Australia, it's 60%. So therefore, one in 12 Aboriginal men are in prison today. The incarceration rate is the worst that it's ever been. In fact, Western Australia is the mother of all jailers. So the impact that it's having on the children who may have parents incarcerated, who whose mum and dad, as in one circumstance, um, both suicided and three young people, whilst in the care of the Department of um, Child Protection, have gone into Banks Hill Hill is complete and utter disgrace. And this not only reflects the state government of Western Australia, but the federal government in terms of investing in ways that should. Now, as I mentioned earlier, part myself and Jerry George Artis and Connie George Artis, we did work out at Banks Hill Hill. We did work up at Acacia Prison. And in that, and I'll give you an example of Acacia Prison, for example, um, the biggest male prison in the Southern Hemisphere, 1,500 strong, We'd worked with a number of people and there were three Aboriginal people that had passed away before we started. There were 33 self-harms 
And through our approach, which is really quite simple and loving and caring and working through a person's archive issues in a methodical way, we've taken self-harms from 33 down to 3 in one quarter. Banksy Hill, 18 to 7 in eight weeks. No one came back in. It's that radical transformation and that is what is required to help these children along. The other thing too, if you're going to have 100 children in there, you need to have 50 to 100 nurturers, the grandmothers, the grandfathers, the uncles, the aunties that can go in and help some of these young children who are really quite troubled. They have unaddressed trauma to de-escalate situations and make it a better place for all. Make it truly about rehabilitation instead of being it being punitive and very much encompassing the whole regime of restorative justice, which is not done. We need to care. We need to actually provide that support for the young people and also the prison, the, the staff mm. that go out there and some are in fear of their life. We don't want anyone to be harmed, mm. but there is a simple way of doing it, and that is ensuring that family members can go in there and provide that support to help alleviate some of the challenges that they're having. It's not a it's not a difficult difficult thing to do. Many say it's a complex issue. It's not a complex issue. You show the love, you receive love. You show hate, you get hate. Mm. Now with the class action, the Bank to Hill class action, spearheading that legal league is Levitt Robinson. They're a lawyer group based over in Sydney. Jerry, myself, Connie Georgiatis, and Kalisha, we've collected. 580 testimonies of young ones and older ones that have been in Banksy Hill. This is not a new issue. Since it opened in 1997, there's been 10,000 kids that have gone through there. Some have now passed to suicide. Some have now left this other left the world to unfortunate circumstances. But 70% have ended up in adult castle estates. This is an opportunity for real intervention through the love and the support, the intense psychosocial support. It can be done. It has been done. Precedent's already been set. What we're lacking, however, is political will Mm. to implement the model that works. Always seems to be what we're really lacking, uh, particularly in this country and around these sort of issues. But what you're talking about there um, really sort of speaks to uh, this, you know, model of care and youth detention. Um, 75 community organisations have recently put out uh, an open letter, uh, you know, demanding a, a whole bunch of things, including, uh, you know, providing an adequate model of care and youth detention. But also, I guess one of the, the major issues here that I think many of our listeners wouldn't even be aware of is really the, this age of criminal responsibility. Uh, you know, currently it's at 10 years years old. Uh, many you know, community organisations and advocates are calling for it to be raised to 14 years old, as well as abolishing mandatory sentencing. I mean, it, it just seems quite shocking. I think even when I saw that, I, I, I think hopefully I remembered it and, and was aware of it, but it was just, it reminded me, it was just like, it's insane to think that, that a 10-year-old can be considered criminally responsible. Uh, you know, how significant is that an issue in, when, when considering, I guess, so-called uh, youth justice, the fact that, you know, 10-year-olds are ending, ending up in uh, these situations? Well, Australia is actually showing itself to be the racist and discriminatory country, but not by not being in on par with the rest of the world for criminal responsibility be at the age of 14. We must also remember that, yes, there's a lot of poverty-related offences, but there's some children that are in there for some really serious crimes. We also need to remember um, that some of the children, um, they have grandmothers on the outside and mothers who are exhausted. So if we're going to raise the age to 14, which it should, but we also need to remember that some of those children are in there not for stealing pedo frogs, we also need to do mass investments into community outreach, community support, 
to alleviate the challenges and also to help deal with the unaddressed trauma because, you know, I've mixed it with too many grandmothers and they're saying, well, you know, I, I try my best with, with my kid, with my grandchild, but they don't listen. Therefore, the intense psychosocial support is needed. Now, there was a young young fella, very, very, very quite troubled soul. Um, he'd come out to his grandmother and even though he was still on an order, there was a lack of support provided to him and his grandmother. Therefore, that young boy is back in cuff, back in in Banksia Hill. She's living in a Department of Housing home. It's overcrowded. Um, these are some of the circumstances that we need to remember that some of these children are living in. So the grandmothers are very exhausted by not having support to help the child get their life back on track. We also need to remember that there's the whole thing about education, but some of these little children and some of these kids, they're not going to school. They're not going to school because they're broken little souls. Their unaddressed trauma is so entrenched that it's taken their lives over to the point that they've got broken little hearts. So this is the reality that we're working in. In fact, it's a grim reality that we're working in. So therefore, the kids that are going to school... Um, they can get some kind of support, but there are many that aren't going to school in the community. And unless we put in that radical tra um, transformation in terms of the empathy and the love and the respect and the support um, with the outreach and also the McGowan government building more houses, this is going to be an ongoing issue next year, the year after, the year after. And what will that mean? There'll be more deaths. There'll be more people living in hardship. Right now, right across the country, we've had 10,000 people take their lives to suicides, black, white and brown. That's a national crisis. I spoke earlier, part in relation to the housing crisis in Western Australia. I spoke earlier in relation to the 60 people, dear souls, that died on the streets in relation to housing. The outreach to families is much needed. These are the most critically vulnerable families. And if we don't outreach to the families and provide that hope and that help and that support, their circumstances aren't going to improve because that's the reality of myself and Jerry George Artis. We've mixed it with 20,000 people right across the nation. And they're the most critically vulnerable people that I've ever worked with. But at the same time, they're very loving and kind. All it takes is this. You walk into a house that's really quite dark in many situations, but by giving that hope, all of a sudden the light comes on. By the time you leave that house, the whole house is lit up because you've given hope. Life without hope is a slow death, and that sadly is what this society is leading towards and which has for a very long time.